0: Hey, this is Jeff Fuller of Soggy Acres Retrievers and Sporting Dog Adventures TV. We have had a great run showing our love for dogs with our show, our podcast, our social media, and all that is based on Soggy Acres Retrievers. We proudly bring this podcast to you by Soggy Acres Retrievers and ask you, if you are looking for training, boarding, or a yellow, black, or chocolate Labrador Retriever puppies please check out SoggyAcres.com. Remember, everyone deserves a Soggy Dog. Hey, welcome to the Sporting Dog Adventures Podcast. I am your hapless host, Jeff Fuller of Soggy Acres Retrievers. And I wanted to talk about Upland. I don't think we give the uh, Upland people enough love. So I figured we would talk Upland today and go over some different things as far as Running a dog in Upland and running a dog in Waterfall and the differences between the two. Uh, I will start with saying that probably 50% of people that call for wanting their dogs trained or wanting a puppy will ask, are your dogs experienced Upland hunters and or are your dogs experienced Waterfall hunters? And what I will tell you is that you need to, I guess, get that out of your mind because if you're buying a good puppy, it's not about waterfowl or upland. It's about drive, trainability, and temperament. And Mm -hmm. those are the things you're going to want whether you're hunting waterfowl or upland. I can say with full disclosure that if you have a low drive dog, you many times can make a waterfowl dog out of them. Now, it wouldn't be a kind of waterfowl dog I would want to own because they're not going to have the drive to go deep into cover and And really be relentless, but they likely can get them, can be brought to the point through training where if a bird is down, they see it go down, they go out and get it and bring it back. Again, you're shorting yourself with that if that is what you're looking for, because you want to have that dog that has the drive and the ability and the temperament where they will listen to you, they will be under control. And they will go out and do a great job with great enthusiasm because they love what they do. So that would be how to look at it when you're looking to buy a dog, when you're looking to have a dog trained. Again, you're training for control. You're not training for a certain type of hunting. Dogs are bred for that and that's what drive is. And you are training them so that they listen to you and they hunt with you as a team. It's something that I know I bring up ad nauseum, but it's also something that I talk to clients about virtually every couple of weeks to, to every month, whether the dogs were trained your dogs that people are buying. Uh, it's it's a misnomer out there where people think there are good upland dogs and there are good waterfall dogs. There are just good dogs. And if you have been around a dog that is a well-rounded, well-bred dog, you would understand what I'm talking about with that, where... It is a dog that, yes, they need experience in a certain type of hunting. And that comes from the owner. But as far as the training and them having the ability, that comes from the breeding as well as then your training that you're putting them out there. When you are looking at a dog that is trained for a waterfowl and upland. And again, you're not training them for it, but they're trained to hunt for you in that atmosphere. You can only put them through so many things during, I guess, quote unquote training. You're teaching them control. And then from there, dogs gain their stripes in the field by having experience and being out there and running around and really learning how fun it is, but also learning that they have to hunt for you. So when we look at handling dogs, there is some big differences in how you handle an upland dog as opposed to how you handle a waterfall dog during those types of hunts. and. It's different, but it's the same because, again, it's all about obedience, control, using your e-collar to keep them and reinforce things, keep them in range. But with upland dogs, in a sense, it is easier to get them to be a competent upland dog because you're letting them run and just keeping them so that they're under control and running close enough to you in the field. where It's not where unless you're teaching dogs sit to flush, which... I know the safety aspect of it. People will say it. I will save with my own personal dogs. I do not do sit to flush for several reasons. One, I think it's cool. I like watching dogs that are really charging after birds. Two, I've seen um, some of my dogs will go on point and if they sat... Too early, they wouldn't flush the bird. Possibly, I guess. Uh, then again, if it's sit to flush, I guess it's not a not the best statement. But three, I love just watching that dog that just charges in and hauls butt. Now, I always make sure that the people I'm hunting with, whether it would be clients in the past or uh, friends and family of the current and future fur dogs, because I no longer uh, run the film the TV show or or guide. I do always tell people, make sure you have good clearance from the bird to the dog. The birds fly. Yes, you get excited. You think they're flying so fast. They actually don't fly that overly fast. You need to make sure that you have horizon where you can see the birds up in the air before you shoot. Because there are dogs that will leap there are birds that will flush low. There are a lot of things that can happen where you could have tragedy strikes. You wanna make sure that bird is going up before you are pulling the trigger so that everyone is safe. So that would be one thing. And and, and again, you're teaching your quartering, you're teaching your distance. When I'm working with a dog on Upland, I am making sure that dog is no more than 10 to 15 yards out in front of me. Now, they may be off to the side one way or the other if you're hunting with multiple people. It's making sure the dog is no farther than 10 to 15 yards out in front of the person that they're in front of. I will let dogs range further to the sides if I'm hunting big country. So if we're hunting a big CRP field, I'll let the dogs range 30 or 40 yards over. uh, Just because my thought process is is, is that if a bird does flush, I probably got a 50% chance that it's going to fly by me. And I'll get a chance at it. And if they flush wild, if it's a huge field that I wasn't going to push anyway, it's not one that I'm losing from right in front of me. Again, you're, you, how you're you're going about your handling a lot of times will be determined by the type of hunting you're doing, how much time you're putting in a field, how many passes you're putting in a field, what kind of cover you're putting in a field. So it's hard to give you an idea 100% on handling, but my Basically, what I try to do, keep the dogs ten, maybe fifteen yards at max, in front, so of the shooters, so that when the bird goes up, if you are giving the dog time, so that you know the dog is clear from the bird or the bird's clear from a dog, however you want to put it, the bird is not going to be more than twenty-five yards or thirty yards out when you pull the trigger, and that's perfect range. You've got a good pattern. Uh, you're going to have a lot of sh- you're going to have a lot of shot on target, so it'll make a good clean kill. So. It's keeping that in mind, but also it's different in the fact of when a dog is out and they're getting out too far, I'll call them to me. So I'll yell here or beep, 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 three beeps with my whistle. When the dog comes back into about five to ten yards, I tell them hunt it up and I give them that release. That's different in many ways than how you train or how you handle a dog on a duck hunt. But I'm letting them come back in. I'm releasing them. And as we become a team and have been out a few times, they understand, okay, cool, that means I can still hunt. So it is giving them that release so that they understand that they can continue hunting. I'm not a big proponent of yelling, Hunt it up to a dog if they're out hunting. I don't at all. I give it as a release. Again, Too often we're yelling, hunt it up up to our dogs because we think we know where the bird went and the dog maybe isn't over where we think they should be or we think they're quitting. you got to let the dogs hunt. You will take their drive away. You will take their desire away and they will turn around and they'll do something called popping, which is turn and sit and look at you because they're going, all right, fine, you know where it is. Where do you want me to go? Let them hunt. If you're going to have a dog that you want to be in a certain area, I will actually use the hear command or three whistles beep 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 and I'll physically move my body over toward the area I want them to go because again they want to try to stay in front of you. But if you see where they're consistently not going to an area or not in your eyes listening maybe you should follow the dog. I remember once I had my dog pick it out he was seven months old and we had three experienced dogs. They were all out in front of us. Pickett was over to the right, and we couldn't understand what he was doing. We were wondering, like, what is this dog doing? He's over there dicking around. He's not hunting. As it turns out, a rooster flushed. The seven-month-old dog actually knew where the bird was, and the quote-unquote seasoned dogs didn't pick up the scent. So it it was a learning experience. I always get those in the field where you see them. Follow the dog. Keep them close. If you are going to have them, want them to hunt in an area, just call them over and always try to keep the wind at your advantage if it's for a down bird or an area that you saw a bird go into so that the dog will catch scent of the bird and that will make it easier on them. So now we get into waterfowl hunting. When I am waterfowl hunting, there's a huge difference in the fact that you are making sure that the dog is sitting until released to go on a retrieve. We don't want them to break. Uh, before before the shot, we don't want to break them. Have them break on the shot, which again, breaking on the shot is not uncommon. It's something that was a very much a struggle dealing with when we were filming because you're trying to get the birds on camera. You're not in the position where you're going to halt the hunt because you got to get birds on the water before you could film. So it was something that I guess I would say I accepted a little more than I do now, um, and. and also, the the point uh, or the, the, the actual reality was, we're starting hunting in mid August and we're hunting till mid mid February without any time to train in between. So it was it was natural the dogs would get loose, but you want to make sure that dog is sitting there until released, for a lot of reasons. One, there might be more birds coming in, and you have them sit there. You can have them have them wait. You can shoot at more birds, knock more down. Two. You don't want them to be in an unsafe situation and breaking in front of people that are shooting. And three, it is something that honestly, if dogs break, it becomes harder and harder as a handler to get them to listen. So it's almost like you're starting over with your training in some ways. So keep them sitting at, at, at heel. Use their name to release them on a retrieve. So let's say we're hunting with ace. You're going to use ace as a retrieve. I like, as far as waterfall hunting, to only have one dog at a time. That's my personal preference. A lot of that comes down to I hunted with a lot of dogs that had very bad manners. I had a hunt one time in the field where the dog actually leaped over me when I was shooting. And I shot in the water in front of me. And it was just scary because my dog wasn't that far to the right where if that dog would have leaped over me on a different way, I could have... Potentially shot my dog so it's something that I like to have one dog so that we have one handler that can focus on their dog and the other people can focus on just enjoying the hunt and shooting but again it comes down to letting the dogs go out and work and with both it is also making sure dogs are finishing retrieves with upland have your dog through its conditioned retrieves because if a dog has a bird that was winged and the bird is still lively and he drops the bird and the bird runs into the cover you might have had 40 birds that ran through that cover they're not going to not going to know which one was winged when they get to the point where the birds disperse and with waterfall you want them to finish their retrieve because if a dog comes in it drops a bird in the water right by the boat the blind or in front of you that bird may dive and then we've all had that happen where the bird just never comes back up and you've now in essence, wasted that bird, and you need to count that as part of your bag limit. But you've wasted that bird where you aren't going to recover them, and not going to, and, and not going to be able to um, harvest the bird properly. So keep that in mind when you are looking at your waterfall and your upland handling scenarios with your dogs, and remember to have fun. That is the one thing that I am really enjoying now, where I'm not doing the TV show. Is I kind of got away from hunting being fun because hunting was a job hunting was something where we had to kill birds we had to get numbers because we have a show and it is something now where you know what if we miss or we get birds i enjoy every minute out there i actually enjoy the misses more especially when it's my kids because instead of having to get after them and tell them my gosh guys you can't miss those it is very much a more cantankerous tone where i am just picking on them and having fun so Have fun with the people you're hunting with. Have fun with the dogs in the field. Keep them under control. This is a great time of year to get them more under control prior to the season. Next up, we're going to have a training segment on conditioning your dog. And our last segment will be the hunting segment where we're going to talk about watching the weather this time of year when you're looking at planning your hunts in the future. All that and more coming up after this. Our great fans of the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast, we are growing at an astronomical rate, and I want to thank you all. I do ask one thing from you. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Please give us a thumbs up. Follow us. Subscribe to us on whatever other platforms you're on. And the most important thing I can ask, share our podcast with your friends so that we can grow our love for the dogs and dogs in the field and make it so that people are more involved in our sport. Again, thank you so much for being listeners. Take care. Hey, this is Jeff Fuller from Sporting Dog Adventures Podcast. I want you to know that we buy all of our trucks at Boucher Automotive. We go to Janesville. They've got a great selection, great staff. If you're looking for a new truck or car, check out our friends at Boucher Automotive in Janesville. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk about something that is probably more important to the hunter and the animal they are taking out to hunt with than what most people would even give credit for and that is conditioning. We all need more conditioning. As I get older, I do not have the stamina I used to. I'm trying to lose weight so I have less, less fat to carry around. But our dogs are the same even when a dog is in its prime you want to make sure that their conditioning is that tip-top shape That is going to help you avoid injuries. It's going to help you Avoid soreness. It's going to help you avoid Downtime when you're not able to hunt and I'm talking the doggy and the person Take your dog out for walks a couple of times a week. Take them out get them three miles or so, get yourself three miles or so, and that is going to help their joints, it's going to help their muscles, it's going to help them really have more fun in the field. Get weight down on your dog, get weight down on yourself. The more you tote around, the more sore you're gonna be and the more tired you're gonna be. It's the same for your dog. We need to not humanize weight with our dogs. As people, we will look and say, ah, the dog's 10 pounds overweight. We think of it as our us being 10 pounds overweight, which, you know, is bad, but not cataclysmic. When we think of it with our dogs, we need to look at percentage. A dog like my dog Memphis, if 10 pounds overweight, that is 10%, so that is like me being 20 pounds overweight, it's double. Start thinking of it that way so that when you take your dogs in the field, they're in a position so they're not going to be injured due to being out of shape and being overweight as well as you need to not be getting injured due to being overweight and out of shape. Get your dogs out, walk them, get them some exercise. It's something to do in the summer. The one thing I will say is be sure to keep heat in mind take water along for the dog and yourself. Don't overdo it, but get your dogs out, get them conditioned, and you will have a so much better hunting season this coming fall. Next, we're going to have our hunting tip coming up, and that is going to be about watching the weather during the summer as we plan out hunts for the fall. All that and more coming up after this. Jeff Fuller again from Soggy Acres Retrievers and Sporting Dog Adventures Podcast. When you look at hunting, you need to have yourself prepared. Our good friends at Mech Outdoors have reloading supplies, as well as great clay target machines to get you prepared to so you have more success in the field. Don't get that dirty look from your dog. Check out Mac Outdoors. Jeff Fuller from Sporting Dog Adventures and Soggy Acres Retrievers. In our house, my wife hates having the plastic kennels and wire crates. We need them for the dogs because we have times when they need to be put somewhere. But she cannot stand the look. So, we talked to DCT Kennels. And we now have a new partnership with them for a product that is a crate, but also a piece of furniture. If you want something that is practical as well as great looking, check out DCT Kennels. Hey, welcome back to the show. It is June. We're trying to think of what we can do for hunting. We can start getting our our gear prepared and going through stuff so we have everything. I am addicted to watching weather. I guess it's because I own swamps and flooding is a big deal, but I also look at if the water is low, where am I going to hunt with the upcoming year? What blinds am I going to have to make sure ready? Am I going to have to move and put in some more temporary blinds this year because of where the water's at. That is something that I am constantly looking at so that I understand and have a plan. As I'm getting my blinds ready and planning out my hunts. Yes, it's two months away. Yes, a lot can change. But if we're going to daydream, why not daydream about hunting? Why not think about scenarios? Why not think about how we're going to plan our stuff out so that we can really enjoy ourselves and have a great season? It's only a short couple of months that we get to go out and enjoy the sport that we all love. So I keep an eye on the weather. I'm actually... (laughs) Well, pretty sad. I'm actually out scouting already looking for where birds are because I have two really great properties that I'm just learning. So for me, it's more of a wow, with the weather this low, where are the birds now? So that when the weather is that low later, I'll hopefully know where the birds are. I'm looking, going, what food is growing that's different? When we have deep water, a lot of the food won't show up, but I can tell you with my house uh, where I train dogs, we were flooded for about three years and we had smartweed everywhere. All the smartweed now is gone. Nature has this great innate ability of making stuff grow and putting stuff in certain places. So it's something that I watch and study, and I guess you could call it a hobby. I say I'm a duck farmer and a deer farmer. I like to watch that stuff because it gives me something to go and to go on and and it helps me learn future strategies. You know what, it might not be five years until the water's this low during hunting season, but I'm watching it now and I'm going, gosh, that area actually held water when the river was really down, or that area held water when my marsh was down. And I'm looking at it going, all right, this is something that is a plan we can have so that we are set up properly once hunting season comes our hunting season is September 1st it's getting here it's not that far away yeah it's still a couple of months and we could get 20 inches of rain between now and then but again start watching the weather go out and scout it'll give you something to do I know guys with big mud boats will go out on uh, on poker runs and different things get out there take your dog out you can actually take your dog with you on these runs throw a couple of decoys out, throw some retrieves in areas that look similar to what you do when you hunt so that the dog gets experience and so that the first time they're seeing a certain scenario is not when the sun comes up on opening day. That would be my tip for you on the hunting end of it. Again, if you are listening to this show, please give us a rating, five-star, thumbs up, share this with your friends. Uh, You can go into the... Uh, the explanation of the episode if you'd like to give us a donation you can sign up monthly to give us a donation to help pay for our uh, our future gear we need and future shows whatever you can do to help share our love of dogs and dogs hunting the field please help and one last thing when you're planning out your hunts this year have a couple of days where you take out a new hunter let's grow our sport thanks so much for listening everyone have a great week and God bless. Sporting dog adventures run, boy, run. Everything you need is here under the sun. Everything you need is here under the sun.